What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 16, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on her 19th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood, and I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is James Schrader, rad human, funny comedian, actor, face of Dr. Squatch Soap, and most importantly, an epic dad embracing the adventure of fatherhood. Enjoy meeting my new friend, James. James Schrader, welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about being a dad. Yeah, man. You know, as we were kind of leading up to talk about this, I had shared with you that I haven't had a podcast in like five, six weeks and I miss it. It's one of my favorite things to do is just pause with a dude, especially somebody I've never met before and just dig into one of the most important things that you and I will do in our lives is be a father. You know, we both have some kiddos and it's an opportunity to um to really grow as a human being. So with that in mind, um, I'm going to ask you a couple questions for people to understand who you are right now. Um, James, how old are you today? 40 years old. 40. All right. I'm 39, about to be there. Was there some magic um, aha the day you turned 40? No, no. It was just, I it, I thought there was going to be, if because it seems like it's a big deal. I, I don't know. It's just another, it's just another one. <laughs> it's just it's still going. One. Like, it's kind of like the new year. Like, it feels like, oh, like everything's winding down in the holidays and then everything will chill out come January 1st. No, it's another Monday. Just like, we same, got things to do. Same thing. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So 40 years old. And where do you live? I live in San Diego, California. San Diego. I love it in San Diego. When we first got married, we lived in Carlsbad for the first year, and it was a great spot to like kick off it's, kick off marriage. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful place to live. the The vibe is relaxed and chill and healthy. The beaches are beautiful. The sunsets are amazing. You know, and, and I grew up. I say that I grew up in the Florida Keys. I okay. grew up in paradise, and the Keys are tough to beat because uh, one, like my only complaint. The water is cold. Mm -hmm. I'm a Florida boy from the standpoint of like, I am freezing every time I go in the ocean, summer, winter, warm water here, cold water here. I'm in a full wetsuit because this water's cold. But besides that, uh, it's a, it's beautiful. Yeah. Love it, man. And, and uh, how many kiddos do you have? I have a five-year-old daughter now. And, uh, and I was married once before where I had two uh, stepdaughters that, uh, they were two and three. This was years ago when I met them. And now, uh, they're 17 and 18. One of them just graduated high school. So, and, and I'm, I'm lucky that I've been able to stay a part of their life. Um, we've had little, just, you know, life gets busy and things and yeah. whatever, and we've kind of come and gone, but there's always been an open line of communication and, 
uh, after actually the oldest one, she, she graduated high school. I actually brought her out here for a few weeks and mm. she stayed with me and, and my kiddo and she got to see California and stuff. So it was nice to spend that time and kind of get to know her now that she's 18. Cause when I, yeah. when her mom and I split, she was eight. Mm-hmm. And so it's been, it's been 10 years. That's cool. You maintain that relationship that you, you maintain that connection. You know, there. I remember when we were, when I was married to their mom, I remember her mom telling me, like, if you want kids, like she had like, gotten her tubes tied or whatever. She's like, if you want kids, we can look into it. I would consider like, cause they can, I guess, undo that. Yeah. And I kind of looked at it at this point, you know, we were together. These girls were a part of my life. And I remember being like, I got two kids. What are you talking mm-hmm. about? Like these two and so it was in my mind, I always thought even when her mom and I split, which was a pretty friendly civil split, it was always like, this is part of my family now. And yeah. the mom and I still get along and we talk and, and, and she's remarried. And it's funny, like she's remarried. The man that he married is a really nice guy. I've gone to their house for dinner. He has two kids. There's been times when I would like go back to visit and I would literally pick up the girls and his kids and just take them all for the day. And, and I'm glad that it's been such a friendly kind of just positive, loving, you know, relationship with, with her mom or with, you know, with my ex, their mom and with the girls. Yeah, man, that's really good to hear because I think sometimes you think, let's get on a fatherhood podcast. Let's talk parenting and marriage and all the stuff. And it's always going to be this, this like uh husband and wife, we've been married for 30 years and we had two kids and it's all, but the reality is, is life is just messy and life just happens. And so to be able to hear just even in your tone and in your voice that you were able to go through something that a lot of people deal with. And, yeah. and and maintain peace in some level of harmony. Is there any secret sauce in that as as that circumstance does arise for people? Um, any anything that you would share wisdom wise uh, with somebody who maybe either joining a family with some kids or leaving a family with, you know, like any thoughts around that? Yeah, I think, you know, if especially joining a family, like when I became a stepdad, I looked at it as if I'm willing, if I'm marrying this woman, and even if I'm dating her, if I'm willing to date her, I know she has children. They are part of the package. They're part of the deal. They're not, they're not like, oh, I'm with her, but you know, they're separate and that. No, they are, it's all a package deal. Mm-hmm. And one, you better be okay with that up front. You, you know, that's not, you, you can't, it's not fair to those kids to like show up and then disappear kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that's where I remember thinking like, I love this woman. I am, I I am, I'm looking forward to a life with her and her children are wonderful. And I, I think we both held off a while, like as I think you should, before you meet the kids, like, my daughter has never met anyone I've dated, my my uh, my daughter. And that's because I'm like, that's so far down the road. Mm-hmm. Because in my mind, if you're dating, I don't know if they should meet your kid. Like, I'm sure everyone has their take on it. But like, the kids should not be seeing people come and go. I didn't meet my first wife's kids until we were months in. And we had really... We had already talked about possibly living together, I think, or like it was 
some version of that. And, and then I knew like, I, if I'm in, I'm in with these kids. Like, it's not like, well, I'm not your dad. I'm never going to have that. Now I, I, that's the thing. I'm not your dad, but I'm going to love you like a father. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be supportive. Uh, but also like, I, I, I remember waiting for the day when like, well, you're not my dad. And we never really got there, mm. but they had a father. He was a wonderful dad. They loved him very much. He was, it was a 50, 50 deal there. And he was a part of the picture. And he and I got like, we had the talks. I remember the first time, I think it was the first time I met the girls. Mm. It might've been, we met at a playground with the dad and the girls were playing and I got introduced and the dad and I like had a moment and he gave me the spiel that I was expecting. And yeah. I, and he was like, Hey, you know, these are my daughters. You ever hurt a hair on either of their heads and I will kill you. I will not hesitate to end you. And I shook his hand and said, I expect nothing less. Mm. Like, yes. And also know that when they're under my roof, I will defend their life. Like, yeah. I'm in, man. And that was a big thing. And and I remember it was it was beautiful. This sounds weird to say. It was beautiful when when their mom and I decided to split up. Um, he called me. And it was probably one of the sweetest phone calls I've ever had. But he called me and was like, you know, I, I really wish you guys could work this out. And it wasn't it wasn't an ugly divorce. It wasn't an ugly separation. We came to the conclusion before the resentment and the anger and all that really took 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 place. We just had conversations. We talked with a therapist and we just were com we were both comfortable and happy about this decision that we were making for both of us. Yeah. And it's not what you want, but right. you want the best version of that outcome. Right. And he called me and was like, when I met you and when this was happening, I never thought I wanted anyone in their lives. Mm. And now I don't want anyone else in their lives. Yeah. Are you sure you can't work it out? Are you sure you guys have really tried everything? Because I know how much they love you. And I, and, and I've grown you know, he didn't say I love you, but he was kind of a he was kind of a, a tough. I didn't see a lot of emotion out of him besides I don't even want to say anger because he wasn't an angry guy, but he was he was a he was a a calculated, yeah. strong guy, you know, mm. and he was emotional with me and he opened up and was like, you know, I don't want anyone else like you built this relationship with them and 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 I don't want that to end. And it was it was it was really sweet. It was really nice to hear that from him as their dad that he felt that way about me. Yeah, I think it's important for men to have conversations like that. And I think it doesn't happen a lot. A lot of times we just let the mom have these conversations and we dip out of that. So to know that, you know, as a man, you need to be speaking on behalf of your daughters. You need to be connected with those who are in influencing and a part of their life. So yeah. I think that's really critical that you guys engage in that conversation and that you maintain relationship. You know, you tried to make that work. It didn't, but you main you maintain relationship with the girls, which I think is, is critical. Um, so then I, I want to shift gears a little bit and, and get into a couple of other questions and I'm sure we'll come back to some of that. So this is going to seem like a total left field, but it's going to bring us around here. Um, what is it that you do for a living? Now, I hate this question on some level because it's like a, 
men use it to level each other up, you know, like, Hey, what do you do for a living? But the purpose for me to ask the question is it helps dads who are listening right now connect with you because it's a level playing field. We understand that like, Oh, divorce and stepkids and, uh, and having a kid and, and moving states and all like all this stuff that happens in life happens to all of us, no matter what we do for a living. So with that in mind, what is it that you do for a living? Um, my, I'm a comedian, I'm a writer. Um, I'm most well known for the face of being, uh, the face of the brand Dr. Squatch, which is an all natural soap brand for men. Uh, about five years ago, I helped write and was in kind of starting the first commercial and that did really well for the brand. And, and we've been going ever since and filming ever since. And uh, with that, I'd been a comedian for 10 years now, but that started about five years ago. And that's that. I mean, that's my bread and butter. That's what pays the rent and and keeps the lights on. And I'm the luckiest guy in the world because my job is is very creative and fun. Like mm-hmm. I, I love my. I used to run a construction company. I I ran a small comp, uh, underground utility company in Florida, and I've had that. And then I kind of after I left Florida, I was like, I I want to try comedy. I want to do this. And it's too. I love it. And I, I'm never going back. Like this is the plan and I'm doing these commercials and I'm building the comedy career and I'm, I'm putting tours together and doing shows and, and things are going well. But I will say as a parent, I miss the security of knowing construction's going to be there tomorrow. Right. If that makes sense. Like I'm the luckiest guy in the world where I have, I have created a schedule. My daughter's five. And she hasn't started school yet. And I have her 50% of the time. So when I have her, for the most part, all I have to do is be a dad. From the moment we wake up till bedtime, I might have to take a phone call or send an email. But I've I've structured it where when I when I have her, we're waking up, we're having breakfast, we're going to the park, we're riding bikes while I do a walk, then we're going to do the, uh, we're going to go home and have lunch and read some books and we're going to color and we're going to play and we're going to build some Legos. Then we're going to go to ballet. Then we're going to come, come home, cook dinner, watch a movie, snuggle, read books, you know, uh, shower time, bedtime. That's, you know, and I, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I know that most dads do not get that. Yeah. That quality, that amount of quality one-on-one time. Yeah. And like my dad didn't get there. I'm the youngest of three boys. My dad run ran a small business and with, you know, 12 employees and, and, and he was, he wasn't an absent father, but he was a dad where it was like, Oh, dad's home from work. Hey dad, can we go do that thing for the last half hour of sunlight? And some, most of the time it was yes, but sometimes it was no. And during the day, and if I had a soccer, like, my dad wasn't at all my football games in high yeah. school. My dad wasn't at, you know, a lot of the stuff. He was supportive and he loved me and I knew it. But I, I because of seeing what he did to provide and knowing how lucky I am, I really do try to make the most of it and, and appreciate it. And I'm grateful for the fact that, and, and it's the kind of thing where we had the opportunity to put her in TK, which they offer like here, like pre preschool or yeah. pre-kindergarten. And we kind of chose not to because I was like, we got one more year. Yeah. Because once she goes, she's in, right? 
So I was like, we got one more year to just wake up and have the day. And we, you know, I, every, in the car, I've always got a couple workbooks of hers that are like numbers and letters and, you know, tracing the letters and stuff. So like we're doing little school kind of stuff. We color, but it's like, what is, you know, oh, it's, uh, we got a super low tide. Let's go down to the tide pools. Let's, uh, as she puts it, we help the crabs get back to the ocean (laughs) and she picks up all the little crabbies and we look for other things and pick up rocks. And I'm trying to be as hands-on and just with her and in the moment. And, and I encourage everyone, you know, it's, I, like I said, when I was married before and I had the two daughters and I was running a construction company, you get home and you're tired. Yeah, You get home be- and you put in a full day and you're juggling invoices and paperwork and payroll and employees not showing up or this or that and their problems or your problems. And then you get home and you're exhausted and yeah. your kid wants attention and it's yeah. sometimes hard to give it to them. Yeah. Cause you only have so much to give. So question here is kind of maybe a deep question, but you made the comment that, that you knew your dad loved you. And, and, and I think that a lot of us who are at that around 40 age, we, we still had fathers, especially who kind of the culture was you provide. I think we were shifting out of that. Like the dads were engaged with us to some level where maybe their dads were definitely like gone from sun up to sun down. So there was this shift For for our dads. But I wonder, like, what do you feel is the difference of of knowing that your dad loved you versus the amount of time, quality time you're able to spend with your daughter, right? Because if you have all day to spend with her a couple days a week, a few days a week, there's definitely a different level of it's not always this like 30 minutes of let's pack as much in. Love you, son. Right. See you again when we can do this. There's a lot more just being together. So any thoughts on that? Like the difference for her, her foundation, her identity to have you versus just knowing like, hey, my dad loves me. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? I think, you know, one, I'm raising a daughter. My dad had three boys. Yeah. I think, I don't know if that changes it or why in me, I think it might change it a little. Um Oddly enough, I think I think the time allows me to learn to be a better parent. That's mm. what I think. Like, is it beneficial for her? Yes, of course. But is she really going to remember the like a bunch of the memories before the age of four? Yeah, not really. But you're still building that foundation of trust and love and yeah. and that she can rely on you, that you're there. Um, and I think for me, it was, it's like I said, I think it oddly helps me more. I think it's more beneficial to me because I'm learning because I'm around her so much. And because it's all day, it's a lot of the questions of like, well, why is that daddy? Why is this? And you know, you, I don't want to do that, but why do we have to do that? And it's like, I feel like I'm learning more. I think there's something about when when your kid asks you questions and you think like, and you looked at your parents when you were growing up, like, well, they have all the answers. Yeah, they have all the answers. They're the adults. Yeah. They know everything. And then you get there and you're like, oh, my parents had no clue what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you have that realization that like nobody knows how to do this. I'm right. like, I've, I asked my mom. 
Uh, my, my mom's 77 now, and something happened. She was visiting, and something happened with, with, with my kid. And my mom started kind of like chiming in on how I should handle it. <laughs> and I, and, and I, heard, I listened to her. I heard her out, and I 100% disagreed with everything she said. But then I asked her, I said, well, tell me something, Mom. How many parenting books did you read? How many children's psychology books did you did you read when you you know you raised three of us? Yeah, uh, you know. And she's like, Well, none. I don't what do you mean? What are you talking about? And I was like, Well, I've read like a dozen. And one, that's because now we have it. Right. We have the resources. They did not. I think back then there was like one book. I remember we discussed it. She was like, Well, I remember there being this one book. And I forget what the book was, but now we know that like every it was the same book that I think taught you like. Which one was it? Where you literally like pretty much just like abandon your kid? Not abandon. That's a weird way to put it. But like the sleep training or something where you just let them cry it out. And I don't know. And maybe I don't want to mix it up. But pretty much like everything that was written in that book, we actually know better. And most of it was wrong. Most of it was not good for children on how to like raise. So I don't blame her for not having the resources. But I also was comfortable looking at her and being like, listen, we know things now. And unfortunately, most of your parenting <laughs> is null and void. Like we don't, we know better. And, and that's what I think the time with her has given me so much opportunity to think about the time spent, to think about the answers to questions, to think about um, how, what is my view on something? How am I going to teach her about bullies or somebody being mean or how to share what, you know, where I think with, when you don't have as much time, you're so, like I said, my dad, you know, you're tired, you're home, something's happening, your knee-jerk reaction, because you're at your wit's end, because you just put in a full day at the office. Yeah, yeah, it's and interesting. I have a little more time to be like, let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah, it's you interesting, know? the the life that you have, both with your job and being separated from your daughter's mom, is that you it's just the two of you, right? So you, and because you have a flexible job, it's this, well, I don't have to get daycare for you today because I'm not at a job. That wouldn't make sense. So I'm going to spend all day with you. And I don't know that a lot of fathers have that opportunity to spend so much time with their children because I do think still a lot of men are going to work five days a week, right? A, a nine to five. And, yeah. and and then kid might be daycare, grandma or, you know, whatever. And so you have And this... I think that's most people, moms and moms and dads. Yeah, moms like, and dads now. We live in a world where two yeah. people got to work. And, that, and like I said, I know I'm lucky. I'm this weird variable that doesn't make sense in the normal thing. But let me ask and this. And I understand the, that, which is why I am grateful. Yeah. With, was there any, I don't want to use the, I don't, uh, for the sake of like a drastic word, was there any fear that you had in like, okay, I won't, I'm going to be spending all this time with this three-year-old or four-year-old, you know, like I'm going to have to figure this out because it could be easy to distract yourself. It's like you said, you read a dozen books and you guys spend time together and you just kind of went in and did it. Was there any fear that you had to overcome to like jump in and go, I guess this is who I am. Although you may not have felt like you had this um, written out dad plan of how to show up and do, do the deal. There wasn't, there wasn't an initial fear. Like I'm like when she was born, I was, I was actually a stay at home dad for the first year when her mom okay. and I were still together. Her mom had a really good job and I was this aspiring comedian. 
And um, the the Dr. Squatch stuff started when she was, I think, like four months old is when that really kind of started the wine, you know, start up. And I just like, I'm a dad, I'm a stay at home dad. This is what I do, you know. I think where the fear is, and this is like I said, there wasn't an initial fear, but there's an ongoing fear of, am I doing a good job? I think I'm doing a good job. I know that there's a number of interactions where, you know, I mean, because kids are going to get upset and things are going to happen and you need them to do something and they don't want to do it. And you're (laughs) like, listen. I, you know, and, and it's, there's part of me that loves it. I, you know, my daughter will look at me like this happened not too long ago where she was like, I was like, I need, I need, we were trying to get dressed because we had to be to a doctor's appointment or something at a certain time. And we had plenty of time, but like we needed to leave. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, like, I need you to stop that. And I need you to put your shoes on. We got to go. People are relying on us. We said we'd be somewhere. We got to go. And she's like, I don't want to put my shoes on. Like, this isn't a want. This is a neat. This is a have to. We are. Yeah. We have to do this. And then she turned to me and she was like, well, dad. And this was at four. She was like, you're not respecting my boundaries. Oh my God. <laughs> and part of me is like, hell yeah. yeah. Have boundaries. You're yeah. four. You're setting boundaries. <laughs> you're holding yourself. You're not letting people cross it. Also, put your goddamn shoes on like we gotta go yeah. we gotta go like i'm proud of you yeah we ain't got time for this yeah I, we need to go so it's that where the moments happen where it's like just because we spend all day together doesn't mean i'm not tired doesn't mean i'm not frustrated it doesn't mean my brain's not over here thinking all right what's the next job i gotta try to book shows i need you know my weekend i, I drop her off wednesday do I, I don't have a show wednesday night i need to book something like yeah, I'm still worried about all the things of right. life, but I just I'm doing it while I'm with her, and I feel bad because sometimes I know I am distracted. I know I am on my phone because I'm sending texts or emails to like three different bookers in a club somewhere, and I'm like, "Hey, do you have any availability Thursday? Hey, this thing, blah blah blah. What about that weekend? This is my availability, you know." And she sees me on my phone. And I hate it because like she she sees phones now and she's like, like, even with her dolls, she recently like gave her doll a little fake phone and she's like, it's her phone. Totally. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, oh, damn it. Like you're seeing me and like now you're into it. It's the whole but, world, though. It's it, the whole of world. Course it's not it just is, you. But I, and all of that. I said all of that to kind of get to the point where like I still am fearful on a regular basis. Mm. that Like, am I doing a good job? Yeah. Am I patient enough in the moment? And I know that there are definitely many moments where like you could have handled that better. While there are also moments where I'm like, you did all right. I think that was good. You did. You did well, you know, but. But I love the, I, I think I love the way you're. I asking. mean, where? what about you? I mean, you got five kids. You have five kids. How often are you dealing with one that's having a rough go, a rough moment? And then another one is coming at you like, I need attention. I need this. Da, 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 what about? And you question like, damn it, I didn't handle either of them well. Like, oh, is that? All the time. I think yeah. that's a normal occurrence. It's a normal yeah. occurrence. And, and, and I th- but, but I think that's what I'm hearing and, and what I love and what I want the listeners to hear is being in that fight, right? Like being in that struggle and not letting the fear not let you show up as a dad right? The fear of, am I doing a good job? Isn't like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I'm out or I'm going to book myself solid so that I don't have to engage in this because it is frustrating, you know, learning about yourself. And you, I love how you said it. You said the amount of time 
that I get to spend with her, you shifted it from my question was more about like, how's her life going to be because you get to spend so much time with her. And it was more like, I get to learn how to be a great parent with her. And I think what a rad perspective to, to be so engaged in that process, even at four and five, when I think some dads can say, ah, when she's eight and we can do this or when she's 10 or when she's 15 and can hike or bike or whatever it is that I like to do, but you're engaging at a level that she's at, but learning about yourself. So with that in mind, what is something that you have learned about yourself through being her dad? I felt like this happened when she was born, but I was amazed, you know, especially in the beginning. And I can't imagine having more than one. Like I I look at my parents and you tell me you have five kids and it just, it blows my mind. But I think there's something about that I've learned about life just from being a parent of you're exhausted that first year. Right. I mean, you're exhausted all the time, but like that first year, those first, you know, the first two months, you're like floating on this new baby. Like, I'm so tired, but I love it. And da 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 da. But like, you're still so excited about it. Mm -hmm. And then like six months in, seven months in, a year in, and you're like, this this kid's always here. This like (laughs) the kid's always here. And, and what I think I realized was, you'll do it because you don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. You do have the energy. You do, you are capable of pushing past all your inner BS to get the job done because you care so much. And I think that has translated to my work in Mm. the sense of like, in the sense of like now when I, when I catch myself and I'm like, Hey, like, yeah, I dropped the kid off. These are my two days this week because I'm going to get her back in two days and I have her because this is my week to have her like every I have her every Monday, Tuesday. She's with her mom every Wednesday, Thursday, and then we split every other Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it's like if if it's a week where I only have two days to work, that's not a goof off week. Right. We got work right. to do. And yeah, you just spent you just spent time with the kiddo. You just spent two full days being a parent, being a dad figuring it out, cooking the meals, doing the laundry, all the stuff, cleaning the house. And now in your mind, you're like, Woo, okay, I get to take a minute. I get to, and you're like, no, now there's a career. Now we got to do stuff. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but you can, you just do, you can, you just do. Now I do think self-care is important. I do think like I exercise, I meditate, I do take time. I literally and to keep from feeling guilty, this is something I realized I had to do because I felt like I wasn't doing enough at like career wise or even even like pre-planning the parenting stuff was now I literally schedule like like I went and saw Avatar, the new Avatar uh, last week, Wednesday morning. I dropped the kid off, drove straight to the place. I saw a 10 a.m. movie. And, but I put that on my calendar from 930 to noon to 1230 or whatever, because it was whatever the movie was. I was like, you are allowed to mm. relax, enjoy yourself, go see this movie, take the more. After that, I went, uh, I, I, I ended up calling my brother, actually, and I went and sat outside of the cafe. And from pretty much that day, it was scheduled that I was good till like 1.30 in the afternoon to kind of have a just be a person, 
Enjoy yourself. Relax. Call your brother. Have lunch. Sit outside at you know this little restaurant thing. Sit outside. Have some food. And then at two thirty, I got to the office and I worked. Was there till seven thirty, eight o'clock. Like, and then I went and did a show. And I was out doing shows till nine thirty, ten o'clock. Like, I didn't not work that day, but I definitely was like, take care of yourself. Unwind. Relax. Yeah. Reset. Yeah. And that's okay. But I, I've gotten to the point where I have to give myself permission. Yeah. I have, because my brain, my brain doesn't like it. If I just kind of willy nilly go do something. Right. Then I feel guilty that I'm not providing, I'm not doing the job. Man, I think that nugget is huge. You know, cause if you said, Hey, I went to the movies at 1030 today. Right. If we're just like hanging out, like, what the hell are you doing? Or whatever, you know, like we, we kind of just dick with each other about it. But when you share the context of like, I got to go be a person, I it's, it's like, and dude, I need this for myself. Cause I'll be like, all right, well, I'm going to go to the gym from eight to 10 then. And then I'm going to go fix the screen door. And like, these are things I, I want to do. And, and those are yeah. fine. Right. Going to the gym is really good for you, whatever. But it's, if it's just constantly like you're not mellowing out, you're not slowing down, it's not healthy. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if you're a dad listening and you're finding yourself like blowing up at your spouse, blowing up at your kid, like you are, and that's me, dude, like packing in so much stuff and not just taking a breath to chill. Um, That's really important. So that's great. This, and this, this, this sounds, this sounds weird. I know that what I'm about to say <laughs> does not sound proper, but I will say being a divorced parent and having every other weekend off to be a person, mm-hmm. even though I cram all my business stuff into that, I still just get to wake up, be responsible for myself, take care of myself, do the work, do my, go to a show that night, perform, come home, relax, kick my feet up put a movie on or read or whatever and be a person for two days makes me a better parent Mm. when I pick my kid up at 9am on Monday morning. And by that, I mean, I've been married twice. I've lived with, you know, my spouse, two different women. And I've learned and like, I've, you know, every day it's, there's a, and this isn't just the kids. This is the spouse. Even just having the emotional responsibility for waking up next to your spouse is taxing. That's taking up bandwidth. And it's there because you're processing like, oh, you know, whatever it is, uh, I, I rolled over, I put my arm over, she, was that a pull away? Was she pulling away? Is she pissed me? Did I not do something? <laughs> like, there's things. Yeah. You know it, you know, yeah. it, you know, there's yeah. things. And you're like, and it was nothing. She did, she's sleeping, right. whatever, you know, she didn't even do anything, but you're a person and you're reading it and whatever. And that's there. I have told a number of friends of mine that are married with with children and a couple that are just married, that just spouses, that I really believe there is it, it is very important that yes, you are you are a couple, you are a team, mm-hmm. you are together, you have made this promise and you, this it's surrounded with love and trust, and that's beautiful. You are also still you. Yeah. You are also a member of the team. And sometimes a member of the team has to go do some rehab in the sense of like, if you were on a sports team, sometimes only one of the players has to go see the trainer 
because he, you know what, he pulled yep. the thing and he's limping a little. He's sore. He was injured and da da da. And that person needs to take a moment and do some uh, something else to help benefit them to bring them back to full level to be the great teammate that they can be. And I have told a number of my friends that are married with or without children that I think every couple would do better and get along better and be longer lasting if at least one weekend a month, one of them got to go have a three-day weekend somewhere mm. or two days, whatever. Call it one night. Start there. But if you went to your wife and you're like, hey, next month, pick a weekend that works for you. And that's the thing. Like, Go get a hotel room a half a mile away. Go, you know, do what what feasibly works for you financially, whatever. Go stay at a friend's house. Go get an Airbnb, you know, an hour away. Go fly with a girlfriend to Vegas for the weekend. If you want to party, if that's your version of the reset, fine. If you just want to go sit in a hotel room and read a book all day and drink coffee by the pool, do that. Whatever that is for you. I think marriages would be healthier and happier if each person was given the opportunity to go just be them yeah. with zero other responsibility. And then the next month, it's your turn. What's that for you? It's you and a buddy going to play golf for two days or something, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. Like I'm, I, mean, I'm a, I like to be alone. I'm, I could sit by, I could sit in a hotel room and read a book and drink coffee all day. I could. And every now and then I think you should do that. You should find your thing. And you, I think you would come home and look at your spouse with a reset, calm mentality and a new appreciation for them because they held down the fort. They took care of things while you were gone. They supported yeah. you so you could go do this thing. And then the next month they get to come home and look at you and appreciate that you did that and that you are a team and that you're a team, whether you're in the same city or not, you're a team. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that's, that. I think that's fantastic advice, whether you do it once a month, once a quarter, whatever you can fit into your life. Something. But I think that yeah. the other thing too, is like my wife just left this morning and she, she's got like a family thing, but when she comes back next Wednesday, I'm going to have a deeper appreciation for like, Oh, I missed you. So it even goes that way too, of like my understanding of exactly. like, Oh dude, I don't feel whole when you're here when last week and I might've been like, man, I wish she wasn't here right now or whatever. Right. If, if you're like, irritated. yeah. So I think that it's really healthy, but I, I do think, you know, like I made a comment to her the other day. Cause she was like, Oh, I was going to go on a walk with a friend, but uh, it's just easier if I just stay home tonight. And I thought, ah, sometimes we just, I said this to her in the kitchen. I'm like, sometimes we just find this routine where we kind of do the same thing every night. Like there's this expectation. We both need to be here. I'm like, dude, go get out. Like you'll be missed. And that's a good thing. So I think that's really fantastic advice. Um, I, you know, going all the way back to you seeing the movie, like for a dad or, you know, this is a dad podcast, but it's like, dude, go ditch work for a day and go hit balls by yourself or go see a movie or go, yeah. whatever it is. I think that we don't allow ourselves, especially in America. I feel like we are so addicted <laughs> to work. Work, work, work. Oh my god. And I'm I'm dude, I am at the top of the list, bro, addicted to work because I think I love it, you know. But but I'll tell you, there are moments, there are moments where maybe I went to the gym or I went surfing, surfing would be my thing, and then I'm in the car and I'm listening to music. And I re and I've said this, I really like that version of myself when I'm a bit more playful, I'm a bit less wound tight with whatever I gotta do. Um 
Because sometimes, like, you go I to bet, work. I bet. I bet you're a better dad when you come home from surfing. Oh yeah, way more playful, way more like. Because there's other times if I finish work, sometimes I walk in the house and I'm like, "Where the hell are all the lights on? Who left this fan on? Well, what are you doing right now? What are you doing on your phone? You know, I'm just like still in that mode of running the day versus right. just a big breath. So dad's huge, huge for you. Okay. I'll ask you a couple more questions. Cause we could just wrap all day long. Um, <laughs> unless you had a thought just now that you wanted to no, share. No, no, no. Okay. okay. So the theme, uh, or the podcast names, fatherhood field notes, which you're already doing. It's like, all right, dude, here's my field notes. Here's my journal. Yeah. You know, lots of stories and, and really able to look and see inside your life and how you operate and how you show up and how you continue to learn and grow. Um, the mantra behind it is rebel and create. And the idea is, you know, every man has a fight in him, whether it's this big, I'm rebelling against the status quo of masculinity, or I'm rebelling against whatever it might be. It could be I'm rebelling against having my phone um, on Sunday morning so we can have Sunday morning pancakes together. But what are you rebelling against? And then out of that, what do you hope to create? So example, I'm rebelling against being on my cell phone on Sunday morning so I can create great moments of having Sunday morning pancake breakfast. When you hear that, what's something you're rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of it? I think, uh, I think I catch myself because like, like we talked about our fathers and their fathers, right? And mm -hmm. how like everyone's doing the best they can with the information they have. And we have more information than any fathers have ever had ever. Yep. And and it, it, I, I look back and I think like my dad, his father, never once told him he loved him. Mm. Not once. And my dad got to me and my brothers and was like, I'm going to make sure these kids know every single day mm. that they're loved. And, and I look at just my growth as a human, I take that from my dad and I look at like where I think my, I don't want to say where I think he went wrong, but like what I'm rebelling against is like, it took me 30 years before I felt like I like clicked on. Mm. Like, I think I, it was, I think I was around 30, which is when I got my first divorce. Like I had already been a parent. I was running this construction. I think I was somewhere around 30 when I really clicked on to being aware of myself aware of of my actual emotion like i think that's when my emotional intelligence education started and mm. and i look now and i'm like i'm rebelling against that that's crazy to me i was 30 before i really felt i was present and engaged with myself within the world around me and now i look at my daughter and i go my mission is to make you, and this is what I think children are, like we are all software. We have consciousness. We are running our version of the consciousness software. And the tools we have are the ones that we've either been taught or learned on our own. I look at my daughter and I go, if I'm version, you know what, we've been around as, as this human form for like a couple hundred thousand years, I think, it right? Like some, right? Hum, I think whatever it is, I'm version 200,000 of this consciousness with this DNA passed along and mixed with that, that DNA and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it took me this long to get here to this level of emotional awareness and whatever. I look at my daughter and go, 
how do I give you all the tools that I have as early as possible? Yeah. So I'm rebelling against the, you're just a kid. You're just a kid. Uh, Do what I I say. You're just a kid. Stop crying. You're just a kid. I don't care. You're just a kid. Uh, I don't want to, you know, like I, you see people talk to their kids and, and, and I know my parents did it to me where they were like, I don't care what you have to say. Do what I say. And I talked to my mom and she's like, well, I think people are talking to their children too much. And I'm like, I think there's a happy median. I think there's a middle ground where it infuriates me to see somebody dismiss a child. And I'm not saying I never do it because again, sometimes it's like, just put your goddamn shoes on. We got to go. But also like, imagine how capable your kid could be if they were as emotionally intelligent as you are at 40. Right. But they could get there by the time they're 10. My daughter telling me she has boundaries at four. (laughs) Yeah. I've never had a boundary in my life. (laughs) Like I feel now I struggle with setting boundaries with people. Right. And so I see that and I'm like, hell yes. Hell, like you're teaching me to set boundaries. Now my daughter has more courage than I do Mm -hmm. to set a boundary. And so that's, that's what I'm rebelling against this thing of like children are just children. They don't know anything. That uh, no, they are a full-fledged human that feel all the yeah. feels. When yeah. they feel lost, they feel lost. When they feel fear, they feel just like an adult. They feel the exact same amount when their adrenaline rushes because they're scared. It's the identical to what we go through as a full-grown adult. They feel all of it, and we act as a society as like, ah, eh, stop crying, ah, eh, put it away. Yeah, and I'm like. That's my rebel. I'm rebelling against like, uh, uh-uh. it's in there. That's a full human. The only thing they don't know is all the, the, like what the math and the histories and the, what no, but like, as far as being a human, it can comprehend all of it. It's a computational being as a friend of a friend, a tech friend of mine referred to my child once as a computational being. And I loved it because I was like, yeah, because if you, if you, you are writing the software, mm-hmm. right? The hardware is all there and it's capable of, of taking the software and getting updates. And I swear, I look at my daughter sometimes. I will not see her for five days because she's with her mother and I pick her up and we start having a conversation. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, she got an upgrade. Like she mm. got a software update with her mom. Like five days is a long time for a yeah. brain that's just soaking it in, which only inspires me and motivates me to be like, hell yeah. That like so that's my rebel that this is a full, capable, aware, full-blooded consciousness human being. And if I can help give it these tools that I didn't learn till way later, yeah. What is she capable of? Yeah. Yes. Okay. A couple of thoughts on this. Um, because I like this. And I I think, you know, one of the things we said before was that we thought our parents had it figured out. And I think that a lot of times our parents, for whatever reason, thought that they had to act like they had it figured out. So we didn't know, but it sounds like you're similar in that when I'm learning something or struggling with something to, to an extent that I could share with my kid, I'm sharing that with them and letting them see that their 39 year old dad is also still learning and still growing and still struggling. Yeah. And so, you know, like this morning I was on the zoom call and I learned something. And so we have a daily huddle to kick off our day as a family. It's like five minutes. And I shared what I learned. 
right? And and I could just hold that in like, oh, I don't want to be vulnerable or look like I don't have life figured out for these kids. Um, but I think that there's this deeper level of trust because, okay, they go, this guy's more authentic because he's also learning. Whereas I don't know that we necessarily got that from our parents, kind of like you're saying, and mm-hmm. it's still maybe in our culture of like, uh, yep, this is how it is. Now, there are times I got to tell my son or my daughters, this is how it is. But there are times where I've come back and been like, I was being stubborn about this and I thought more about it and I kind of see what you mean. But it's interesting to have those those conversations with your kid because you're still their parent, but you're walking through life with them. And that's why I like to think of myself more as a guide than necessarily like this patriarchal know-it-all. Yeah. Yep. And what's interesting is you, you said, shoot, I think I can... Uh, you said the thing about like, oh, like them looking at you and being like, oh, he's being vulnerable or he's da da. I don't think they have that reference point. I don't think they have anything to compare it to because you're their only parent. They mm-hmm. only know what you're showing. So for them, it's not, oh, well, parent, like we're holding it in our head. Well, like our parents weren't like this, so I'm doing it. So there's a contrast. Right. They just see behavior and go, yeah, that's how you're supposed to act. Because my dad, I still look at my dad and think he knows everything, but he shares with me when he learns something, which means my dad knows everything and this new thing, but he (laughs) shared with me that he learned a new thing. So I guess adults are learning new things all the time. So we're always learning new things. Like they don't have that thing to be like, oh, look at dad, look at dad showing me his vulnerability. No, they still see you as just this strong, knowledgeable know every you know like have all the answers guy in charge but they just see you also learning and soaking and being uh uh able you know willing to admit that they're wrong like i've been trying to work with my daughter recently where i was like hey mistakes happen Mm -hmm. and i apologize to her if i screw up kind of like what you said like there are moments where you're like hey we gotta do that we got things to do we got da 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 and they want to do something and 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 sometimes i'll catch myself and be like does it really matter if we do laundry now or in a half an hour? Could we stop? Know, and that's my day that's because, because yeah. my day's free, but it's hard to catch that. Cause you're like, yeah, no, I got my mindset. We're going to, we just finished the breakfast, finish your fruit. We're going to go do the laundry. Then we're going to be able to make it to that park by a certain time. And then we're going to da da da. But the truth is when they're like, well, can we do this more? And the answer is like, in first you're like, no, I have an agenda. Yep. I know what the day's supposed God, to be. Yeah. I find myself. But the truth is you can. Yeah. But you can stop and go, yeah. you know what? Technically, we don't have to do laundry today. I wanted to do laundry today. Do we have like, we're not out of underwear, but like tomorrow we will be like, yeah, okay. And if you can take that moment and stop and be like, you know what? Yeah. Or, or just like what you did admit the like, Hey, you know what? I thought about it more. I was wrong. You said that thing and you made a really good point. And it's weird to tell a five-year-old you made a really good point. Yeah. But I also want her to make points. I want her to talk. Like, I'm impressed by my kid's logic. My kid's five, and her logic is sound to the point where it gets annoying. Because I'm like, I got agendas. We got things to do. And then she'll throw something at me. And I'm like, well, damn it. 
that's hard to argue. With. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's because, you know, in your circumstance, which is it's it's really important for dudes to hear this, is there are a lot of times where it was just the two of you. So there wasn't this three or four year old to shut down because you're having an adult conversation with somebody else in the room. Right. Right. And I think that we go, oh, I can't believe how smart my five-year-old is, but that's because you treated them like a human being. And 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 I remember this quote I heard from a guy, and I'll never forget it. And he's like, when your kid is like two till seven or eight, you're trying to get them to shut up, right? You're just like, don't ask me any questions. Don't ask me that. Stop asking so many questions, right? And then- Yeah, you from- hear about that. You hear about the whole like, why, 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 what? why? Yes. And I'm like, the, the their brain is just like, fill it, fill me up, give me all the info. And it ter- it blows my mind that people are like, yeah, I don't want to deal with it. Well, and his point was, if you're shutting them down from two to eight, then what you find is when you're like your kids 10 to 15, you're like, I wish they would talk to me. Why won't they talk to me? And it's like, because you didn't, you shut them down for these conversations that you didn't feel were worth your time. And now they don't want to talk to you about whatever it is, you know? And so that really stuck with me to cultivate a relationship with my kids so that we're constantly having a conversation. Yeah. That's huge. Cause I, and I also think that you're, again, you're programming their software. Mm-hmm. So if every yeah. time they have a question, you act like their question isn't relevant or important enough to answer. They feel like I just, I guess I just have dumb questions. Yeah. I shouldn't ask anybody questions. And now that software is written. Oh man. And now and someone else is going to have to rewrite that. it. We do not want that no. with our kids. Oh my gosh. Um, James, man, this has been such a great conversation. Um, I'm going to ask you my last question here. Um, that question is a legacy question. Now imagine 35 years from now, you are peering into the home of your daughter. She is now 40. What is it that you see being played out in her life? And you can look back and go, okay, my work, my work was done. I showed up every day. What is it that you see being played out? I hope she has the courage to follow a path that that fills her. That 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 set, you know, I I look around and like the the whole reason I got into construction is cuz I was in college, I was floundering. I shouldn't have probably been there, but I was there cuz that's what you're supposed to do and there was some expectation from my parents that like you know, well, we put this money aside and like, I was the luckiest kid. I had, you know, the, my parents put the money aside and it was paid for. And I was all of that. And I get that. It was, I was very privileged in, in that position, but I had no clue why I was there. Yeah. And I didn't, I was floundering and I didn't do well. And I ended up dropping out. And then I got in the construction because I asked my dad if I could, is it pot, you know, could you make $150,000 a year? doing this dad. And he thought, well, yeah, maybe, you know, if you work long enough and business is good, you could maybe do that and da da da. And then I went and got into construction and I, it felt good to have purpose. Mm. And for the first three years I was in the field and it felt good to wake up at five 30 in the morning and go put a hard day's work in and come home at two 30 in the afternoon, exhausted three o'clock for, you know, some days it was eight hours. Was it two 30? Some days it was a 12 hour day. Like yeah. it just depended on the job, but I knew I was tired. I knew I was doing something and that felt good. Having the purpose felt good, but I didn't love it. Yeah. It didn't do anything for me. And so when I decided to get out of construction and I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this comedy thing a try. And I remember the first time 
I remember I, I kind of went on the road on this little journey. I, I spent about five months driving around the country doing open mics and stuff and some improv in, in, in a few different cities. And I remember like the first few times I, I like had jokes that worked. I was doing like a five minute set and the jokes worked. I got laughs for, for five minutes, you know. I remember thinking, and this was only a few months into it, because I had lived the dream. I had had a job and I had had a little house and uh, the wife and the two kids. And I had a little Hobie cat sailboat and I had a share in a tiny airplane. I was living the dream, man. I was living the dream. I was supposed to be the happiest in the world. And I was miserable 10 hours a day sitting at my desk dealing with paperwork for the government mm-hmm. and contractors and all this stuff and insurance. And then I was broke living out of my truck telling jokes. And I had the thought that I have never had less money and been more happy in my entire life. And from that, I knew that like, and I said this to my daughter's mom, and I I think it was our first date. I think it was our first date. My phone rang and it was a comedy club. And they were, they, they were like, Hey, can you be here in, uh, by eight? And I looked at my watch and that was 56 minutes away. And I was on a date. It was like our first date. And I said, yes, I'll be there. I said, but I need a plus one because I'm on a date. I need, you know, I'll bring my my friend. And they were like, can't do it. We're sold out. I said, no problem. I'll see it. I'll be there. <laughs> and I hung up the phone and I told her, I said, I, I'm really sorry. But like, you need to understand, like, that was the manager from the biggest club in town. They want me to open the show. And you need to know that, like, this is my goal. This is what I will do with the rest of my life. I'm either going to be 50 years old driving around the country in a piece of shit motorhome telling jokes or 50 years old driving around the country in a slightly nicer motorhome telling jokes. Like there's no plan B because once I felt that and realized like I will do this. And when you have kids and they add a responsibility, it changes a little because now they, they can't grow up in a piece of shit motorhome, but like they can, but you don't want them to. But like, (laughs) I hope when I look in her window that I raised her to have the courage to find something that fills her heart. And she went for it. And for her to know that, you know what? I don't need the new car. I don't need a giant house. I don't like she and I live. I mean, it's California, so it's crazy expensive out here. She and I live in a 300, 300 square foot studio apartment with a tiny yard and we have everything we need. Yeah. And would it be nice to have an actual bedroom? Yeah. Like she has a little cubby that we built and she has like her own little space, but like, it's still a studio and I love it. And it would be nice to have another room, but that costs money. And I'd rather have the money to spend for experiences with her than rent a bigger place. And I just look at that and I'm like, if she knows that like what's happy is, you know, your heart is full. You're sharing experiences with people you love. You know, by then she has kids of her own and a husband or a partner, or whatever. And you're just like, are, are, is your home filled with love and support and good communication? Mm-hmm. And your heart's full because every day you actually love what you do. And that sounds like, you know, that's very utopian. And I think I feel for people. Like I said, I ran a construction company for 10 years, I worked in the field all day long. And I saw so many guys that like, they just, they showed up, they did the work, they picked up the shovel, they dug the ditch, they put in the hours, they went home, they drank some beers and woke up and did it again. And I feel for them. 
I feel for all of them. I feel for anyone in that position because I think the majority of people are stuck at some desk thinking there's no other option. And I want you to know there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of freedom in knowing that everything you own and are responsible for fits in your truck. Yeah. It sounds like I remember being like, yeah, broke. I don't care if I'm broke. I'm happy. And if you do something long enough and increase your skill set at whatever that thing is, eventually somebody will find value in it and pay you for it. I believe that. So if you want to make pottery, make pottery. Make the best damn pottery in the world. Make all the pottery. And eventually someone will probably buy it. But you might be broke living out of a van for a while, but damn it, you'll be happy. And I think that's more important than honestly having nice fancy things and cars and whatever. So, man, I, I love, yeah, you know, based on, yeah, based on what you want to give your daughter, it's not something that you're not, you know, you'll hear a lot of people say, well, I'm working this so that I can give my kid X, Y, or Z, but you're living out what you want your daughter to be able to have the life that you want her to live. And you're showing that to her. So, so James, man, I think that you are an incredibly loving and engaged in tune father. I think, you know, based on this conversation, it's, it's apparent you give your daughter your best, um, not seconds. Um, you know, and, and I just encourage you, bro, keep being funny, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, the Dr. Squatch commercials are hilarious. I've seen probably all of them. Um, my son uses that. I, I use it when I remember to order it. Um, and, and the videos are hilarious. So dude, I just, I'm excited to see what you do. I'm excited to hear, you know, what your relationship is like with your daughter when she's 10 and 15 and and the, the life that you guys build together. So dude, keep waking up every day, being yourself, not letting somebody else tell you who you should be. And I think that, uh, that example you're going to set for your daughter is going to just set her up for massive, massive success, as well as inspire a lot of other people. I hope so. I, I appreciate you having me on. And, uh, this was, uh, Again, this is something that saying these things out loud, kind of reinforcing it in my own head, I think it's good for me too. So I hope people can connect with it. And dads, you are not alone. Mm. Love your kids. Hug your kids. Let them cry. You cry. It's okay for you to cry as a dad. This shit's hard. And uh, and just, you know, look your kid in the eye and do your best. And that's, that's all you can. So mm. Love it. Well said. Thank you for having me. Thanks, James. What an incredible conversation. It was real, raw, and applicable. I'm deeply grateful to James for his openness and honesty about life, love, and learning. My friends, the Adventure of Fatherhood Children's Book to Connect Fathers and Sons has a published date of February 14th, Valentine's Day. That's right. This book is beautiful. I got it sitting right here. I just got my hands on a copy a couple days ago, and I am beside myself excited. This book, I believe, is going to be an incredible tool, a way to invite a new or young dad into their role as a father to help them see who they are and going to be an awesome way for a young boy and their father to connect over an adventurous story of a father and son. So go pre-order it, or if it's after the 14th, you can go order the book as well as a new dad box gift invitation, rite of passage, welcome to fatherhood gift box at adventureoffatherhood.com. This is going to be legendary. I can't wait for you to see it, touch it, feel it, smell it, read it. It's so good. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebellion Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, What You Do Matters. 
Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time.